from The Advocate magazine in partnership with GLAAD. This is LGBTQ and A. I'm Jeffrey Masters, and for this month, while we're on a bit of a break, I wanted to bring you some of my favorite interviews that we've done across the five years of the show. And so today you're going to hear from Eureka O'Hara. This is someone who I truly think is one of the kindest people in the business and who you can currently see competing right now on RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars Season 6. Now, this was originally recorded in October of 2019, October 2nd to be exact. It aired on the Luminary app, and this was just five months after her mom died. So we talk about Eureka's relationship with her mom, how impactful it was, and also how Eureka's experience of gender has evolved and continues to evolve. And so that is where we start our conversation. Let's hear it. So you've talked before about how before Drag Race, you lived as a trans woman for five oh, years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you decided that that's, or you realize that's not actually who you are. Can you just talk about your early experience of gender and what led you to think that you might be a trans woman? Oh, yeah, of course. Well, I guess like first to reiterate into the versus me figuring out that I'm not, I think it was more of like discovering that I'm like all of these things. You know what I'm saying? Oh, it's an expansion. Yeah, weirdly, like I think the trans person that I was is still a huge part of who I am now. It's just like a more elevated self-perception and then also like self-description as far as like gender goes. That's where gender neutrality, I think, comes in, right? I just remember growing up, you know, well, first I grew up with all women, so four women. Um, I remember being younger and like the little gay boy in me always like wanted to be a girl because it would be easier. I think we all have those thoughts a little bit at some point in our life, like, oh, like dealing with like the persecution of it or like the negativity or like the self-inflicted ideas that we put on ourselves because of other people's opinions. We automatically assume that it's a bad thing and how much easier it would be to like just be a girl so then you could wear pretty and frilly things and you could like boys and, you know, all these things that you want to do, play with Barbies, etc. So that was kind of the start, I think. And then I met a guy when I was like 18 who was like really interested in Eureka and I clicked with him really well. So then like I was already doing drag and I was living with a trans woman at the time. So it just seemed like so many factors of my mind and like my thought process was adding up to this like, okay, you're obviously not living your authentic self. Maybe this is something you should discover. And then the boy comes in because, and I call him a boy because he turned out not to be a man, okay? <laughs> Meaning like in a like responsible sense. So the boy was also there for like that validation, I guess, and like having someone to support me through it because he was more interested in Eureka. So that's why I kind of brought that up um, because the thought process was more from like growing up and then living with a trans woman and just having those ideas kind of for a long time anyway. And so dating him, he he really isn't do Eureka, your drag character. And so yeah. it's like you're getting all the validation about like the feminine side of mm-hmm. you. That's Mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah, uh, it was interesting. But it was like, I really liked him, you know? And he was like the first time I ever had, like, had a guy that I could consider, like, a real interested in, like, relationship type situation. And so, I don't know. I was just like, you know, I fell head over heels really quickly. So, I would have done just about anything. But I was already thinking these things. So, I can't really say, like, oh, well, I did it because I met this guy. No, I had the quote-unquote balls, LMAO, (laughs) or the lack thereof, to push myself to do it because I had, like, this validation from the opposite sex or, you know, however you want to describe the gender of that situation. I don't know how I would talk about that. (laughs) I have to assume, too, that you doing drag at that point had, like, a big Mm -hmm. impact on that, right? I also had a drag mother who was trans, you know. Yeah, I think so. You know, probably just, like, what I was exposed to and around. And then also, like, when I decided to live as trans, my life became so much easier, 
Because when you're a drag queen and you live as, like, you know, a boy outside of drag, you're basically having to maintain two completely different people emotionally and monetarily because you have to have a wardrobe for both. You know what I mean? You have to—there's different self-care for your male self versus your female self. Um, There's a lot of, like, maintenance that goes into it. So my life kind of became a little easier just living as a woman in a way because I was doing drag so much. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you lived as a trans woman for five years. What was that decision like to realize, like, oh, this is actually not the right fit for me? I broke up with Josh was his name. It's pretty generic. So, I mean, it's like people can pinpoint him. Hunt him down. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> He's actually calling in. <laughs> yeah. Here we have, okay. Um, I would literally leave. <laughs> I do not want to speak to that human being. Anyway, wow, that kind of threw me off. Uh, just the thought of like talking to him again, it's like, oh God, it's so alarming. I mean, he turned out to be very just vicious. A sick person, sadly. Um, but also that kind of wore off on me, I think, right? So like the end of our relationship was, you know, pretty mentally abusive. You know, it was he attempted to be physically abusive, but wasn't very like successful necessarily because I'm obviously a large person. It was just like a rough patch at the end. So then that negativity and that like um Honestly, the illness, I think, the mental illness really developed one in me. I got very depressed, like, really distraught. Um, I was trying to, like, continue to live life, and I no longer had that, like, validation of, like, femininity as well as, like, someone who, like, cared for me in that sense. And it was, like, I was also depressed, so I didn't, like, know how to maintain myself. But I just got to a really dark place, and I got kind of suicidal. And that's when I realized, like, oh, my God, if you're literally thinking about hurting yourself because of your living situation or, like, your lifestyle, maybe you need to reconsider something. And at the time, all I could think of was, like, the fact that there was this, like, other person whom, you know, my real name is David. So, like, in my mind, I thought, okay, so David has never really had a real chance at, like, adulthood, really, you know, because I I transitioned, like, shortly after turning 18. So, and I was also really young. So I was like, you know, maybe I need to take a step back and reconsider, like, this person that I haven't really given a shot to, like, live an adult life, right? So I just did. You know, just one day I decided to go to my my drag mother's uh, salon and have her cut my hair off. And I was just like, I just have to do it. I'm in a bad place negatively. And she was actually the one I was the most afraid of telling. I was really locally famous for drag, but I was also known for being a really open, like, advocating trans person um, for several years, like, in every organization in our town. So a lot of people were really disappointed. So that was like the hardest part probably. Oh, because here's a big piece for your identity that you're famous for. Yeah. You're not turning your back on, but you're changing. Yeah, but the turning your back thing is how people see it, right? If, if When they're emotionally affected. And then also, like, especially a lot of the trans people that I was friends with and stuff, they were very offended. People don't understand what detransitioning means. It's so hard to get people to understand what transitioning is. So saying you want to detransition kind of devalues someone else's transition, potentially. So it's a really sensitive subject. And especially because it's often used by the, like, right wing to delegitimize all trans identities. Right. So that's why, actually, I really appreciate you clarifying that your gender didn't go back. It just Mm -hmm. expanded. Yeah, it's something I had to discover, too, really, because I was confused because I was like, wait, was I a fraud? Like, did I just live this because I, you know, wanted the D, (laughs) LMAO? You know what I mean? Like, was it for a boy, right, is where my mind went. Was it because... Um, you know, I didn't feel attractive as a boy. Is it because, you know, what were the what were the real reasons? Is it because I was jealous of my sisters? Was it because I always wanted to live as a female or because of something I thought of growing up or because I wanted drag to be easier? All these things is what you think, I think. 
Um, but over time, discovering who I am outside of my trans persona, you know, I, I was D for the longest time. Like, even my family didn't call me David, you know, at first, because they were so used to calling me D. My trans name was Erica. <laughs> so it's like another inflection of Eureka, kind of. Um, but my real name was David, so my family called me D as like a middle ground. And that's pretty respectful considering coming from East Tennessee. What do they call you now? They still call me D, actually, to this day. They're just so used to it, you know? I mean, you talking about detransitioning, it made me think coming out as trans is hard enough to have, have people start to use different pronouns around you and often change mm-hmm. your name, and then you're doing that for a second time. It's weird, you know? But, and it's also harder when you're gender neutral or um, non-binary because people get even more confused because they're like, oh, so are you they, them, theirs? Are you going to be offended if I call you he? Or are you going to get offended if I call you she? And I think that's on a, um, a case-by-case basis. I think it's really just all about personal uh, preference. What I try to explain to people is I think the best thing to do is just call people by their name, you know? So if you have a question like, oh, do I say he or she, then just say their name instead. So like, if I'm talking about you, like instead of saying he's going to the store, I could just say Jeffrey's going to go to the store or Jessica's going to go to the store, you know, versus like worrying about he, she, they, them, theirs, you know? If you're unaware, that's kind of always my advice. And so what pronouns do you use now? All of them. <laughs> um, I I prefer, in a sense, or at least, not, it's not even a preference. I, I'm comfortable enough with being called he if I'm male presenting and comfortable enough being called she if I'm female presenting. And I also answer to they or them or theirs. Or, But most people just call me Eureka, you know? So even though I might present as a boy that day, people still just know me as Eureka most of the time. So I don't necessarily get offended. Some people are very adamant about calling me David or trying to have that separation out of like maybe a performance respect. I I notice it with artists a lot um, that are used to having characters. They'll go out of their way to like call you by your government name is what I like to call it. (laughs) To like, so that there's that separation. Do you consider Eureka to be a separate person? No, I don't know. I like to separate from Eureka because she's such a big part of my life, but she's definitely a huge part of who I am. Eureka helped me find like confidence in myself as a as a non-binary person, gender neutral person, and like male presenting in general, as well as female presenting. So I have a lot to thank that character for and that part of my life as well as like financially, you know what I'm saying at this point and professionally. So she's a huge part of who I am. But at the same time, I love my separation from her. Like she's in a whole nother room. Uh, I don't let no drag be in like my personal like bedroom space to separate from the job more than like the person, right? I mean, I would be nervous if I was a drag queen, like, oh, is this um, person that I met who wants to come, like, sleep with me? Like, do they want me or do they want my character? Yeah, that happens all the time, actually. People, the weirdest part is just when people are really nervous. So, like, if they're a huge fan, like, I won't even know sometimes. Like, I'll just be talking with them or, like, recently, I'll just tell you about a story recently. So, I met a guy recently online, and we had been talking for a while, just casually, um, obviously on a site, or whatever, and I, I'm not big on, like, immediate hookups or whatever. I get kind of weird still, so, um, and maybe that's part of it. So we had been chatting for a little while. Well, he comes over. He's immediately, like, I'm just tell super nervous. But he never really mentioned that he knew Eureka, or, like, usually someone lets something slip where you can kind of tell. So I was like, oh, okay, well, but when they come into my living room, like, half of it's a craft room. So they're going to see, like, fabrics and wigs and <laughs> who's-its and what's-its galore. But he didn't even mention or say anything, so we were, like, hanging out. Well, we, like, you know, we we did our, like, biz or whatever. But he was just, like, so nervous during. Like, he was, like, shaky nervous. 
And I was just like, are you okay? Like, let's just sit and talk. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's fine. And then he, like, randomly brought up, like, Eureka. And I was like, oh, okay, so you're just like, are you nervous? And he's like, no, no, I'm not nervous. And of course he was. But it was, like, weird because then he's like, yeah, I'm actually such a huge fan. And I was like, oh, well, you could have just said that. You know, so it's like sometimes it's hard to tell if, like, people are just coming to, like, get to meet you or not, which is really weird. Yeah. In those situations, it's really creepy, kind of. I think you handled that really nicely, probably, for him. I don't know. I get nervous that I'm, like, taking advantage of a fan. Does that make sense? Like, I don't, I don't ever want to feel like someone is being, like, kind of like hashtag me too moment kind of situation where I don't want people to feel like, because I wanted to meet you, I, like, lined up this hookup with you to, like, hang out, but really didn't want to have sex or whatever. So I'm, like, really finicky and careful about sexual, like, intercourse because of that, I think. Oh, because the power dynamics are off. You know, but, I mean, you can usually tell if they're into it, obviously. Is that something you talk about with other drag queens? Are they as aware of this? Yeah, I think we're all kind of aware of it. For years, I've seen that the people who are fans of drag queens are diehard. You have no, like, low-key fans. It's only diehard fans. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we're lucky that way, but yeah, for sure. (laughs) So we're talking about your own gender and how your experience of that has changed over the years. How about, like, the gender you're attracted to? Has that had evolved? Oh, that's interesting. You know, I don't know. I think so. I think it has evolved. But I think that comes with just growing up and, like, maturing as a person, right? I can definitely say that, like, when I was younger and in my teen years, even the thought of being sexual with a female was, like, disturbing to me. Um, And I was very anti it. But I think it's because you don't understand yourself, like, your sexuality, if that makes sense. In a sense. I think now as an adult, I would probably be able to maybe, like, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think now I would maybe, as a mature person, be able to handle a sexual situation like that um, and with a female and stuff more than I could when I was younger. Because I think it just comes with learning and growing, weirdly. But you saying you could handle that, like, do you, like, desire that? You don't no, have sometimes, to, it's No, I mean, sometimes, yeah. It just, I'm more, I consider myself more pansexual or demisexual, just more on an emotional level. Like, if I connect with someone in that sense and there's, like, that energy there, then I can find myself being sexually attracted to person, regardless if they're male, female, trans, anything. You know, I have found myself attracted to people for other reasons versus physical, right? So I definitely see myself more in that sense. And then for different types of people, different like gender expressions and performance that you're dating, does that also then change your own like gender, um, like Um, the way you're like currently experiencing it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I was dating a guy not long ago, um, or at least seeing a guy, not necessarily dating, but we were seeing each other consistently. And sexually with him, I was more of a male role, you know? And so I I took on that role, you know, more so with him than I had with other people. Like, and there are some people that I'm more sexually attracted to as like more a more effeminate role, right? It's interesting where you can kind of like run across that spectrum of sexuality too when you're gender neutral because the thing about being a gender-neutral person, and if you're going to date someone who's gender-neutral, you have to understand there really are these sides of this person. And it is all one, but it can come out at different times. Like, you know, there's a huge female side of myself and there's a huge male side of myself. And they're both very, like, strong-willed and have, um, you know, very strong personalities and traits, right? So if I'm feminine, I'm going to be, like, super effeminate in the moment. Or if I'm masculine, I'm going to be super masculine in the moment. So, you know, it depends. Everything you're saying makes total sense. And I also think that, you know, gender is not simple. I think that your description of gender with, like, these uh, mask and femme sides actually applies to, like, everyone. Every cis person who's even binary identified. I agree. And I think that, like, some people are just more open to it. Yeah. 
But um, I think that as like the public's understanding of gender has evolved over the last like, mm-hmm. five years, we're seeing how not cut and dry it is for everyone. Yeah. Well, male and female is really just a descriptive term. It's how we label, like, actions, which is weird. So, like, if you're male, you're supposed to act a certain way. If you're female, you act a certain way. And that's how we relate those actions. So when we try to describe ourselves, like, if I hold my hand, like, angled a certain way and wave it around, then that's supposed to be effeminate or feminine. But who's to say? Like, we've just put that description on it, right? Or if I decide to, like be aggressive and forceful in nature, not necessarily, like, obviously sexually. I mean, more, like, um, aggressive and, like, uh, in an attention way or, like, a speaking way or whatever the case may be. Um, that's considered masculine, right? It's so it's, like, it's just a descriptive term to me anymore. I mean, to me, male and female is almost an adjective, I guess, in my mind. Um, it's just, like, a description of, like, characteristics. It's not really a label. Totally. Yeah. You said you were raised by all women. Mm-hmm. How did that impact you growing up? Well, I was always like really inspired by bigger women because my mother was like a six foot, like thick German lady, honey, who was like, you know, a diva. Um, so I think that's where like my love for bigger women came from originally and then being a bigger person. So, and that's kind of grown into my adulthood too. I think it helped me a lot as far as like learning what toxic masculinity was and how to deter from it. You know, my father was is like a stereotypical like redneck truck driver, like overly masculine for all the wrong reasons because society says that's who you have to be, you know. But deep down is an extremely sensitive man that would never like admit that, right? You know what I'm saying? So it's like I was taught and raised around very toxic masculinity as far as like any masculine figures I was around. And then also raised by, like, a really powerful, strong, semi-masculine female, really, because she had such—my mom was such a huge and, like, aggressive personality, very loud, you know, was the life of the party, extremely popular. Everyone knew who she was, you know, but also really tall and, like, affirming in size, too, taking up a lot of space. So I was also taught, like, what a confident woman looked like. So I don't know. I mean, I was very lucky in that sense, you know. Um, and my sisters were, you know, very, very powerful women, too. My older sister more so. than I have a twin sister, randomly. And she was probably, like, the shyest of us all. So I don't know what I learned besides, like, how to ultimately be a man, weirdly, even though I'm not a man, if that makes sense. I don't know how to describe that. No, I, I know what you're saying. It's interesting that society tends to tell us that a powerful, confident woman is someone who's skinny and, um, yeah. you know, acts like a woman. And then you had this example of a woman in your home who mm-hmm. was, like, bigger and confident and beautiful. Yeah. And to have that examples. Yeah. I think, ultimately, when I say that they taught me how to be a man, I think they taught me how to be the right kind of man. My mom taught me, like, it was never about, you know, like, oh, you don't have to, like, if someone's making fun of you, you don't have to beat them up at school. It's like, be the bigger the bigger man in the situation. Um, be the smarter one, the one that wants to step away and discuss it or talk about it. You know, my mom always taught me how to be the right kind of man, I guess, um, as far as I could. And then I think that went into my adulthood because, like, through my mom's illness and, like, my family, I've always taken care of my family because I was known as, like, the man of the house. But I was never, like, required to act like what society says a man is. My mom was always accepting of, you know, how I was, whether it was flamboyant or played with Barbies. She would buy me Barbies, you know, anything I wanted. But she always, like, instilled, and my sisters, too, that, like, there is a 
there is kind of a position for, you know, a cisgendered male role in a family, especially when you're with three other women. They can feel very vulnerable. And as I grew up, I learned that. You know, it wasn't necessarily about, like, me being called a man or being overly masculine. It was more of just like the roles that society's put on us and how vulnerable females can feel alone. And having like a large male presence in their mind made them more comfortable. You know what I'm saying? Yes, and how fascinating that you took on this like quote-unquote male role of like being a provider financially. I know you support Mm -hmm. a lot of your family, um, but doing that through making money as a drag queen. I know, (laughs) I know. No, I know. My mom always was so shocked by it because she thought it was going to be, you know, go nowhere when I first started doing it, which it didn't at first, obviously. I spent more money than I made at first. You know, I think that's with any job, but especially drag. It was more of a really expensive hobby at first. So, but when I started making money and she saw me like being successful, she was all about it. You know, she was just like, okay, if you're happy, do it. You know, even when I lived as a trans person, I was never stripped of my position in the family, weirdly. I was very lucky, I guess, in that sense, because my mom taught us very, very early, like, you know, it doesn't matter how we dress, what we look like, whatever, like, it's who we decide to be. So even as a trans woman, I still decided to be there for my family, you know, show up for my mom. She obviously helped me with a lot, but when I had it, I would help her. Like, I helped raise my nieces and nephew, you know, any way I can, like, everything I could do for them, really. And my sisters, too, as much as I could. So it's like, you know, I didn't lose my position in the family, weirdly. You know, so I guess I'm luckier than I think sometimes. (laughs) You know? Yeah. We probably all are. How have those family dynamics changed with your mom's passing? Mm. Interestingly, I guess. My older sister, I just don't really have a lot for (laughs) right now, sadly. Um, I had to separate because I think you don't really learn until you lose someone that important or that, like, big of a staple in your life, like, who is actually providing or even like, well, really providing anything to a situation. You know, life is about, you put, you have to put yourself around people that are also giving back. You can't just be around people that are takers. I call them emotional vampires. There were some people like that in our family that really drained her and just the family's energy and stuff that I had to kind of separate from after. But it's still like, even more than ever, you know, um, I play, like, a leading role in, like, my twin sister's life because she took over the three kids my mother had custody of. You know, and then my aunt came and t- took one of the kids so my sister didn't have all three. Um, my older my older sister had three kids that my mom took care of. Um, so then my twin sister was taking care of my mom and the children at this point. And then I was, like, obviously helping provide as much as I could. And then now it's my sister's taking over my mom's life, so it's, like, very me playing that role with her that I would my mom. So I'm just kind of, like, living the same role, just, like, with a different person, I guess. But it's really, like, my sister's, like, a mock of my mother. So it's, like, interesting how, uh, I guess, it all comes full circle, if that makes sense. Has there been any part of grief that's surprised you? I think it just surprises me that I still deal with it. You know, like, it doesn't matter. It's been five months. I didn't realize, like, how big of a deal it was going to be, like, on my on my everyday living, really. Like, how it just makes you perceive the world. We all have, I think, that one person, and it might be a parent, it might be like an aunt or a grandmother or, um, a, you know, a family friend, but there's like that one person that makes you feel like you have that stability in the world, you know, where there's that, if you were to mess up in your life, you have that one place you could run to or that one person, or um, even if it was just a vent about something negative in your life, you have this like set staple 
You know, it's like a staple in your life that you know you can run to regardless, right? But when you lose that, it becomes really scary. Life does. So that's like probably the weirdest part of the grief process was for me, was being so afraid. And just the fear about life and the anxiousness of like, what does it all mean? And like, you know, now I'm like, I'm lost. I have nowhere to go. I don't know what to do. You know, it's like, it's just really terrifying. It just puts you in in touch with your mortality. Especially being so in touch with your mortality this young. Yeah. Yeah, true. And my mom was young, you know, it just like, it sucks, but you just got to go with it, I guess, you know? Yeah. Was she born Uh, in Germany? Yeah, she was. I I just think that we have a lot of stereotypes around immigrants and like Mm -hmm. immigrant families. And it seems like your immigrant mother was very accepting of your gender and your career of choice. Or no? Yeah, yeah. No, she was. At first, she was a little weary, you know, like I said. But my mom grew up, like, she said, grew up in Germany. She was also exposed to like gay people really not making it and being really ridiculed. She comes from like that time um, where, you know, LGBT community wasn't very accepted in the US, but more so here than other countries, but especially in Germany. Like she remembers having some a couple really close friends that were gay and seeing them like be jumped and like beaten in the streets and like, you know, just really negative stories that I heard about from her, which also added to like my fear of coming out to her really too. Because she would, like, talk about it sometimes with us. Like, she was very open with us about things that she experienced in her life. And those were some of the stories. And it was more of, like, her telling us, like, not to be those people, right? So it was kind of amazing. But then when I came out, um, my mother, I feel like, grieved the the part of, like, me. She thought she was losing, I guess. And she was also kind of upset because she had, like, stuck up for me for so many years. You know, I was accused of being gay since I could remember. And my mom would, like, get in fights with people about it because I was just so anti-talking about it. I would cry, you know, it would hurt my feelings. Like, we all remember going through those, like, super denial phases and misunderstanding phases. And she fought for me. So I think she was really hurt by that. And then I could tell she was worried that I wasn't going to be successful because of it. You know, I think we forget. Our parents did grow up in a different time where... LGBT people were discriminated against just as much as, you know, um, anyone else that was a minority. Did you right away pick the name Eureka O'Hara? Well, my I'm a junior, so I'm David Lee Huggard Jr. My dad's name is David Lee Huggard, randomly. So when I decided to be a drag queen, I wanted to be named after my mom. Her name is Eureka, but it's like Ulrika. It's like the German form, so it's like U-L-R-I-K-E. But we had a Eureka vacuum cleaner our whole life. And I always thought it was so funny because I would like make the joke about, you know, mom, do you suck like a vacuum cleaner? LOL. You know, of course, highly inappropriate. Oh, oh my say God. Your mom. <laughs> but funny nonetheless. But I bring that up because like, mm-hmm. yes, she's struggling with this, but it's also like, oh my God, my son, my son that she mm-hmm. called you, like is naming his drag persona after me. It's like a celebration yeah. of her. She understood that after a while. And the drag thing she actually enjoyed. She went to my first ever like Friday night booking. You know, and she was, like, sitting in the chair, like, dancing along with me and whatever and cheering me on. So she was supportive of that. She was always supportive of, like, my theatrical side or, like, my, you know, anything artistic. But when I came to her and said I wanted to live as a woman, she was like, what? (laughs) What is going on? Also, because she, like, loved the fact that I was her son and that she raised me right, I think, in her mind, too. She said that a lot. Like, she was just so proud to, like, have a good son, you know? Because she she was also very abused by the men in her life, her whole life. So, like, her ex-husband, my father, her dad, like, all the men she knew were very abusive, like, uh, polarizing men. 
you know, whether it was mentally and physically. So she was so proud to have a son that she knew wasn't like that, if that makes sense. That makes a ton of sense. So she held on to that for a minute, and then she kind of let go. And then she, like, went through the phase of, like, well, now at least you being gay makes sense kind of phase. And I think trans people go through that, or trans parents maybe. Um, At least mine did. You know, it was, like, a way they could... Um, understand it was like, oh, so you're not actually gay, you're a woman. You know what I mean? And I'm like, okay, yeah, sure, yes, mother, that's exactly it. You know, and in a sense, yeah. I love that. Yeah. You mentioned that she went to your first time in drag. Yeah. Um, what, what was early Eureka like? Like, how has your drag um, changed? Uh, honestly, it changes every year, I think, weirdly. Yeah, I mean, I've changed a lot even since season nine of Drag Race to now. But the, uh, in the beginning, it was very like, making whatever I could work. I didn't know where to find shoes my size. I wear 16 in females. So this is actually probably the weirdest, most embarrassing story, is I had these size 12 uh, slingback pumps. They're like three inches, a little point toe. And whatever my outfit was, I would go buy like matching rolls of duct tape. (laughs) This is a real story. And I would literally wrap those shoes from the toe all the way up past my kneecap and swear I had the only duct tape the high boots on. That's amazing. Yeah, it was ridiculous, though. It was so bad. <laughs> it was so bad. Some people would love them. Like, some people were like, oh my God, I love your boots. I'd be like, oh, thanks. That's amazing. I, I worry that with shows like Drag Race and just like the prominence of drag queens on social media, uh-huh. that we've raised the bars so high for these young drag queens. You know, it used yeah. to be that you would go to Goodwill and like buy an old bridesmaid dress. yeah. And now I think that like queens feel like they need to like to compete. They need to be so much better, even mm-hmm. their first time in drag. Yeah, I mean, well, that's the that's kind of the perk and the curse of having everything at our fingertips, you know, and like um, being able to access any and everything and being able to learn. What it allows you know people to do now is learn anything they want to learn. You know, if you want to master a skill, you can learn it. Uh, you know, with your phone. So I think that puts a lot of pressure in general on new queens as far as like a lot of girls will start doing makeup before they even decide to perform, you know, and they'll kind of master that. I think there's a lot of like art in it with makeup now. That's like a big uh, focus on drag. So I think people see that as a separate art and then they kind of get into performing just because people kind of push you into it sometimes too. I think drag is almost easier to do now because you have access to everything. So tell me this, looking at like the long-term career trajectory of Eureka O'Hara. Yeah. For a drag queen at your size, is it um, and like in terms of your uh, your career, not your um, body size? Oh, you're fine. I was ready for it. I was like, talk to me, daddy. Um, for a drag queen like you, is is your long term career going to always be touring the world continuously? Or are you seeking out opportunities that like keep you doing TV and film like here in LA? Oh, absolutely. I mean, my dream is not to be touring, you know, necessarily, unless it's like. I'm working on a one-woman show that I would like to tour with, which is more theatrical than just, like, drag performance, which there is some. It's more of, like, a stand-up comedy, like, story of my life. It's called You Don't Know Me, Baby. And it's like, starts from baby to, like, full adult. So there's, like, a lot of changes in characterisms and stuff, which is fun. So that kind of stuff would be cool, or touring with a theater group or whatever. But yeah, of course. I mean, TV and film is my dream. It's what I studied in college. It's what I want to work in. Um, And these are just kind of steps to take. I'll perform as long as they're paying me. You know what I'm saying? I'll fly wherever they want me to go as long as they're paying the bills, because they do pay lovely. I'm very blessed, very lucky. Thank you so much for talking to us. Yeah, of course. Anytime. (laughs) Thanks. Thank you for having me. You're so sweet. 
And that was Eureka O'Hara. You can watch and cheer her on right now on RuPaul's Drag Race All-Star Season 6. And if you enjoyed the interview, please help us spread the word on social media. We are on there at LGBTQ Pod. I'm on there at Jeff Masters One. When you tweet about us or post Insta stories, things like that are the biggest ways you can help our show continue to grow. So thank you so much to everyone who does that. We're brought to you by The Advocate Magazine in partnership with GLAAD. I'm Jeffrey Masters. I will see you next week. Bye.